Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, good morning to each of you. Let's go in our Bibles. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 3. And we are going to finish out this chapter this morning as Paul is writing from a place that is most difficult. He's writing from prison and he's writing to people that he loves dearly. For many of us, our mothers were the first gospel influences in our lives. Not just, you know, where would we be without our mothers? I mean, we're here. But many of them influenced our lives for the cause of Christ. So motherhood is most definitely to be honored, and it is to be elevated. It is right. It is fitting. Our mothers sacrificed their own personal comforts. They carried us in their womb and then delivered us to life. We're here. Our mothers nurtured us, and they nourished us. And for this, we are thankful. We are thankful to God for them. Our mothers engaged in all types of internal and external struggles because of us, because of us growing inside of them. Because of us, our mothers had to endure physical, emotional, psychological, and even spiritual battles. God graced us with literal mothers, but then let me add to this, God also graces our church and the church with spiritual mothers, with those who pour their lives into the lives of others, that they care for our souls. Our mothers experienced wins and they experienced losses. They have all experienced times of great blessing and times of great burden. It is absolutely appropriate for us to give thanks to God for our mothers and for those who have invested into our lives and for those who do invest into, their li- into our lives and into the lives of our children and grandchildren. I can't help but think about when Isaac was here and he mentioned how, how Samuel, his name is Samuel. And when I was there, he, he didn't say this, but I asked the question and I said, you know, I was getting to know who he was and, and I just asked an introduction. I said, do you, have, do you have children? And he got these big tears in his eyes. And I, had, I didn't mean to, but I had uncovered something deeply painful that they couldn't have children. He and his wife could not have children. And in these almost, you know, since 2011 when I was there, they still do not have any children. But here's what, they, what the Lord allowed to shift in them. We do not have our own physical children, but we will pour our lives into all of these young people. And we will regard them as our children. And to the hundreds, even thousands, they pour their lives out into the lives of others. Paul reminded Timothy 
of the influence that his mother and his grandmother had upon his life. He writes in 2 Timothy 1.5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. So he's thinking of Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, and when he thinks of Timothy, he thinks of these two dear women. And he says, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. When he thought of these women, when he thought of Mama Eunice and Grandma Lois, right? there was a Grandma Lois in Illinois. She loved me. She would make chicken. She would make brownies. I mean, she took care of me. We went back to visit, and we stayed at her house, and she made food. Other guys would be like, how do you rank? I don't know. But Grandma Lois, who's in heaven now, she loved me. And she, uh, she blessed me, and I'm thankful for her. Can I ask the question, who is that person that you think of that poured their life into you? That they were an example. They were a pattern for you to follow. And then the follow-up question to that is, what kind of example, what kind of pattern are we setting for those who are coming behind us? Paul was driven to see people come to know, love, and follow Jesus. Our development in the Christian life will either be helped by faithful examples, or harmed by ungodly influences. We want to see these contrasted from our study today. We must grow, loved ones, in discernment to choose our influences wisely. Who are the ones that we will allow to influence our lives, our children's lives? Philippians 3, verse 17 Paul says, brothers, okay? So he said this a couple times. Last week in the earlier section, he's, he's pulling them and he's writing to them, brothers, join me. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I often have often told you and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of God. This morning as we look at patterns for life, I don't know if you uh, enjoy sewing. I can't tell you how many hours in stores that my mom drug me into, Joanne Fabrics as a boy. The last place on earth I ever wanted to be was Joanne Fabrics. And she would be looking at patterns, and she would be looking at prints, and she'd be looking at bolts, you know. I was thinking lightning. We're not talking lightning. We're talking material. And finally, we'd get out of there, and I don't know, she'd make a suit or something for me to wear. And uh, patterns, you follow the patterns. I remember her taking those patterns and pinning them all and cutting them out and sewing. We're talking about patterns for life that you follow after a pattern. And it's supposed to work out if you follow the pattern. It should work out 
like the picture. You know, this is what it says. This is what it should be. Follow the pattern. Here's your finished product. Doesn't always work out that way for everyone. But for those who know what they're doing, it does often. So how then do we grow up in Christ? How do we mature in Christ? That's the question we want to unpack from our text today. It'll come on the screen. How do we mature? How do we grow up in Christ? That's what Paul is concerned about as he writes these beloved Philippians. Wherever you are, I want you to grow. I want you to develop. I want you to press on. So how does this happen? Well, first of all, it's a positive instruction in verse 17. And he would say this, I want you to identify and then emulate those godly examples. Identify them. We've, we've already looked at two, Mama Eunice and Grandma Lois. Those are individuals, if you were in the church, whether your mom was still living or not, you could look and say, hey, these ladies, they know God. They have a great faith. And if I follow them, I'm going to be headed in the right direction. Identify them and then emulate them. Don't just, you know, well, this is a wonderful person, but then don't follow them. What does it look like to do what they're doing? They're godly examples. Paul emphasized three essentials for us to keep in mind. If we're going to identify and emulate godly, godly examples, then we see the priority of relationships here. The priority of relationships, and we think about our relationships, we think about how difficult relationships can be, even within the families, even with our own family. Relationships are not always easy. They can be very challenging. But first of all, we have to have a vertical relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be right with God. God created us to be in community, to live in community. We're born into a human family. And when we are converted, when we repent of our sins and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone to save us, then we are what Jesus said to Nicodemus. We're born again. Unless one is born again, he said, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. You will not see the kingdom of God. So we're a family. He says, brothers. It could be also rendered brothers and sisters. He's not just talking to the men in Philippi. He's using an enduring, an endearing term. Brothers, brothers and sisters. First of all, we have a vertical relationship. That must be right. And then we must have these horizontal relationships. When he talks about this vertical relationship, the reality is, is if you're in Christ, then you've been adopted by our Father in heaven. We've been reconciled to God through the finished work of Christ. Nothing we could do on our own. But through the power of the Holy Spirit and the finished work of Christ, we are able to be reconciled, made right. Have you ever had a friendship or a relationship sever for a while? There's a brokenness where there's no one communicating. We don't, I don't talk to them anymore. And you go through a season of not talking to that individual. And then to have it worked out, to have the conflict resolved, and to see a reconciliation take place. Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6. We studied this a couple of years ago. Verse 5 
And when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. That's it. Six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you hear the access that we have through Christ to a Father in heaven? None of us have perfect fathers, and if we're here, it's not Father's Day, it's Mother's Day, but there's not one perfect father here. We have all failed miserably many times, but our Father in heaven, no failure. He's perfect in all of his ways, and he's good. We've been adopted by our Father in heaven, and we also have, when Paul speaks of these relationships, we have an elder brother in Jesus Christ, that Christ made a way for us to be included into this family, the family of God through his life, through his death, burial, resurrection, and then he ascended, and he, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he sent the Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper to dwell with us. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Paul writes, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. And here's the words that so easy for a child to learn, Abba, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may also be glorified with him. Suffering and glory, they go together. The Spirit of God within us confirming you're a child of God. And so when I still sin, the Spirit of God within me says, what are you doing? You belong to God. You were purchased with the blood of Christ. What are you doing? Why are you over here? Why are you thinking this? Why are you doing this? You belong to Christ. And in that relationship, we have been given brothers and sisters in this family of God that Christ loves the church. He died for the church. He is deeply involved in the health and the holiness of his bride. So loved ones, how you regard, how you view the importance of the church tells much about how you view about Jesus. 
For those who, oh, I love Jesus, but I just don't have use for the church, it's incompatible. Because when we are living life with people who also have unusual, sometimes even weird personalities, I'm just going to keep it real, right? The people in our families, the people in our church family, there's plenty of, they're just weird, they're off, they think differently, they, you know, they say things differently, they, all of these things. But here we are in a family, that's where our sanctification gets worked out. That's where our love that is, I love you so much, actually gets played out into, okay, then serve, then forgive, then walk together in life and go through the ups and downs together and don't, don't run from one another. I love the church. I love this church. I'm thankful for you as a people of God, for the men, for the women of all ages to share life with. I think back, I don't know what the function was a while back. You know, we say it every week, you are loved. Well, there was food being served out there. I don't know, it was, there was vegetables, and then there was all the good stuff. And I, I just remember uh, I went out there, and I was, I was looking at the good stuff, and uh, Terry Olson said, oh, no, have you had your vegetables yet? <laughs> Not yet. Well, then put that down. Have your vegetables. Then you can have that. I'm like, man, I'm, these mothers are everywhere. They're, they're messing with me. And you know what? In a quiet affirmation, I was like, man, she loves me. That, that's love. Like, this is, this is just the bottom shelf. This is love. And this is just multiplied in so many ways throughout the family of God. And Paul says there must be a priority of the relationships to be right with God, to be right with one another. And then he says there's a process here of discipleship. He says, I want you to join me. I don't want you to just hear another lesson from the apostle Paul. Wasn't that a wonderful message? Wasn't that a wonderful letter? He's saying, hey, get on the bus. Pick it up a notch. Join in imitating me, he set the standard, he set the example, and he's simply saying through a letter, I'm not there, but when you close your eyes, you can think of me, and you can remember me, and you can remember how I served, how I worshiped, how I spoke, how I studied, how I prayed, whatever they did for the glory of God. Do you remember that? Then join me, follow after me helping someone else come to know, love, and follow Jesus. Our pathway of discipleship is quite simple here. Our purpose statement, we exist to glorify God. Well, what does that mean? And in this graphic, it's kind of, it's, it's built backwards like a stair step. That first of all, we want to reach people for Jesus Christ. We have to go. We have to tell people the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when people hear that they are a sinner and they, that confirms with their own, I, I am a sinner, I'm not perfect, and they hear that Jesus died for them and paid for their, their penalty on the cross, that he was buried and rose, and then they respond and they receive the gospel, and they're born again, they're converted, then what do they want to do? They, they, they want to be connected, reach them, connect them, and through baptism, that first public testimony of I belong to Jesus, and they're brought into membership, they're brought into fellowship, they're engaged in a small group to walk through life together, and they're equipped how are we equipped? If you're going out to battle, you want to be equipped and not with, you know, a spit wad. Here's your spit wad and a straw. There you go. That's not good equipping. How are we equipped? Through the preaching, it's what we're doing right now. 
sitting under the word. And then we gather in small groups and we sit under the word again with one another and we seek to apply the word of God to our lives and we prayerfully go to the Lord together and we take our burdens and we take our blessings and we pray and we live life together. We're connected, we're equipped. And where does this all result? Not in just being theological fatheads. Well, I know more of the Bible. I know this and I know that. So what? If we're not obeying, if we're not serving the Lord, and if we're not serving one another, then what is it good for? Just to become condescending. And that's not the point of Bible study. It's to become like Jesus in John 13 when he took off his robe and he wrapped around him the servant's robe, the slave's robe, and he washed his disciples' feet. And at the end he said, Now I, the greatest, your master, have washed your feet. Do likewise. Serve one another. Love them to the end, using our gifts for the glory of God and for the good of others. And so here together we say, all right, Paul, we want to pursue them. We want to pursue after Christ-like leadership, and that's what Paul is. Pursuit. There's a pursuit of Christ-like leadership. Follow after them. Press on. Oh, how we need to be discerning as we choose our mentors, as we follow them. Who do you allow to influence you? Who is the person that you allow to influence you? Paul says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Do you see how Paul doesn't say, I'm the only one, I'm the teacher, I'm the person, follow me. He says, you've, give, you've received an example in me, but I want you to use that as a pattern and look around the congregation. Who else do you see that's living a life like that? Follow after them. Fix your eyes on them. Keep your eyes on them. Don't just glance at them, but actually live life with them and keep your eyes on them and follow them as they follow Christ. Babies love to look deeply into the eyes of their mom. You know, when they're nursing and they're looking and that connection is, this is, who is this person? I recognize the voice. Who is this person? I love this person. They look deeply into the eyes of their moms, of their dads. Sometimes they try to figure out their siblings. Along comes the, you know, little brother or sister looking over that little carrier and like, ooh, in their face, you know, picking on them, messing with them. Like, who is this person? They look a little familiar, but man, I don't know. They're poking me, pinching me, all that good stuff. I have to share life with them? Be selective about who we give our, our attention to. Does that person that you are giving your time to, do they love Jesus? Do they promote what is true? Are they wise? Are they foolish? Or perhaps even evil as we see in Psalm 1? Paul is making his teaching personal here. He's making it applicable for the Philippians and likewise for us. So he's using this word to follow or to mimic people. Mimic people who hold the pattern that we've been given in the word of God. Look around the church who are these people? Identify them and emulate them for the glory of God and for the good of all people. Do you like when someone mimics you? 
Do you like when someone mimics you? <laughs> knock it off. Knock it off. Oh, I'm going to get, oh, I'm going to get, yeah. does that get under your skin when somebody does that to you? Depending on the day, if you're, you know, like, that's funny, but not today, not today. Cut it out, you know, and it just goes back and forth, never ending. I've got a little video, since it's Mother's Day, there's a little video of what we were trying to do back in 2009, all right, summer of 2009, and if it will come up on the screen, here's Lola. Mama. We got some art, yeah. Mama. <laughs> well, okay. Our mimicking didn't work very well there, okay? We went around the table and uh, all the personalities there of the family. And what did she come Dad, Dad. We tried to, we tried to rework it, but I thought you would enjoy that on a on Mother's Day Sunday, yes. <laughs> Could have saved that one for Father's Day, but I figured, why not today, right? That's mimicking gone wrong, okay? That's mimicking that backfired. I loved it, personally. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, this is what he's saying to them as well, be imitators of me, but here's a qualifier, we don't follow any human being implicitly. Be imitators of me as I am of, and who's the, who's the real one we're following? Christ. What Paul is humbly saying, if you ever can't see Christ in me or through me, then put your eyes on Jesus. Follow after him. But this is how the Lord grows us, is be imitators, mimic, follow after those who follow Christ. Identify them and emulate these godly examples. Number two is a negative. Paul moves on to say in verses 18 and 19, mark and avoid worldly influences. Mark and avoid them. This is a negative instruction here. He's given a warning. He's saying, beware. Hey, Wake up. You need to watch out. This is a, a warning from the apostle. He, he's saying is, as clearly as he possibly can, listen to me, this world is not your friend. This world does not love you. The God of this world, Satan, is your adversary. He's your enemy. He hates you. If you're married, he hates your marriage. He hates our families. He hates the church. He hates government that is righteous. He hates everything that is a right representation of the one who made us. Shepherds, we could even say under shepherds in the church, we have a responsibility to warn the sheep about real threats, about real danger. So we know that the world will continue to spiral out of, out of control. A spiral just keeps going down. There's no surprise there. But let's be real clear about what can really hurt the church. And that is people who come in the name of the Lord. Religious people. Who say one thing and do another. So that we understand when the real danger is when pastors, when teachers, when churches, even entire denominations abandon the scriptures for the sake of culture or convenience. 
when more concern is placed upon maintaining relationships with people than upon being right with God, we're in trouble. Loved ones, we must beware of false conversions, of false converts, and that's what Paul is saying to this church that he loves. I'm giving you a warning. His warning is true. He says it plainly, there will be many. For many, there will be a lot of bad examples. Jesus promised this, Peter promised this, Paul, the apostle John, they all warned of wolves coming, of false teachers, of false prophets coming. 2 Timothy 4 Paul writes to Timothy, this is toward the end of Paul's life, and he says this in verse three, he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths as for you, listen to me, Timothy, and every man of God to follow, every person in the truth, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. So the warning was false teachers are coming. They're coming. The time is coming. But in the book of Jude that we studied not long ago, false teachers are, the, the, that individual would say they're here. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, would say they're here. They twist the scriptures for the sake of immoral license and for the satisfaction of their own personal greed. Verse 4 of Jude, Jude says, for certain people have crept in. Okay, so all the other warnings, they're coming, they're coming, they'll, they'll be coming. And Jude writes and he says, they're here. They crept in like terrorists unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. What kind of people are these? Creeps, ungodly, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. They just twist the scriptures. They twist the words. They do all type of, you know, gymnastics to come out with the teaching that suits them to do what they want to do. And usually it's sensuality and it has something to do with greed. His warning is true. His warning is repeated. He says here, how many times have I told you this? This is like a parent, isn't it? How many times have I told you? And I'm going to keep telling you. I have often told you and now tell you. Your kids ever say that to you? I know, I know you told me that. Yeah, but it's not done. Well, I was going to do it. Well, it's not done. We know how to move that into the past tense, finished, completed, not still, it's out there to be done. His warning is repeated. Paul taught them. He warned all the churches about the abundance of dangers, toils, and snares. Hey, beware. Watch out. This is throughout the New Testament. Warning, warning, and repeated warning. His warning, and this is helpful for us, is tearful. Oh, it's true, and it's repeated, 
but his warning is tearful. And here we see something about the character of Paul that I desperately need to come to full terms with. And I would say that we who live in a culture that continues to appear to be lights out, we need to be marked by this. His warning is not filled with anger. And being vindictive and judgmental, it's tearful. He says, I'm telling you, even with tears, my heart is broken over this departure, over this deception. And my question is, is this how we relate to brokenness around us? Is this how we relate to the sin and the chaos that may be in our own families or communities or our nation? Are we moved to tears or are we just bothered? Are we just irritated? And there's angst and there's anger and there's bitterness. Or we move to tears. Paul said when he met with the Ephesian elders, the last time that he would see them, and he says in Acts 20, verse 26, he says, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Well, how, what is he talking about? How is he innocent? Verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Do you realize that is my job assignment? To declare to you the whole counsel of God? So then he says, verse 28, pay careful attention to, here's where it begins. The guy I see in the mirror. Start there with your sermon, wise. Practice what you preach. Apply the gospel to your own heart. Pay careful attention to yourselves. He's writing to elders. We endeavor to do this. As elders, we took time this week. We stepped away to a pastor's and a leader conference in Ohio to pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. What is our responsibility? To care for the church of God, which is not yours. He bought it with his own blood. It's his church. You are his if you belong to Christ. Verse 29, listen to the warning. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone. Oh, here it is again. What's his disposition? The great apostle weeping with tears he was moved. Peter the apostle writes in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, 
a reason for the hope that is in you. So here we're always ready to share the gospel. We're already always ready to, to tell someone about Jesus and what is the hope that is in you. But then he says, oh, but before you go out the door, before you engage in that person who's whatever religion or atheist, uh, don't forget this. Do it with tears. Share the Lord Jesus Christ with tears. Do it with gentleness and respect. Don't disrespect people because they disagree with you. Let there be tears involved in this. John Calvin says it this way. He says his tears, talking about Paul's tears. Also, are an evidence that he is not influenced by envy or hatred of men, nor by any disposition to revile, nor by insolence of temper, but by pious zeal, inasmuch as he sees that the church is miserably destroyed by such pests. The apostle gives a very clear warning. And then he moves on to talk about these who are the gospel's enemies. What's wrong with these individuals? They hate the cross of Christ. You're telling me I'm a sinner? I'm not as bad as them. How dare you tell me that? That's so offensive. But it's true. These individuals that Paul has in mind here, they make some type of a profession of faith. Oh, I love Jesus. Love Jesus. I think he's great. But the way that they live their lives, for these individuals, the content of their teaching, they deny Jesus. They deny the gospel. They despise the message that says you must turn from your sins, you must die to yourself, and you must trust in the finished work of Christ alone. They hate the message that says you can't save you. You must be rescued by God or it won't happen. These people that Paul has in mind are pretenders and they're deadly. They're deficient in their beliefs, and they are impotent to help anyone, not even themselves, because he says they're headed for destruction. That's the end of their journey. This is where they're going, and anyone that follows them, the bridge is out. They're going over the cliff into an eternal separation from God in a place created for the devil and his angels known as hell. I would encourage you, if you haven't read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, read it. If you want to take Old Testament, New Testament, and have Scripture put over the Christian life, this is it. He says the city of destruction, the book unfolds that the, the pilgrim, his name becomes Christian, he's living in the city of destruction, and he hears a warning, he's full of guilt, bearing the burden of sin on his back, and he says, you need to go through the gate to the celestial city. You're in the city of destruction. You need to get out. So he's on his way, and people come, obstinate and pliable. They come from, the, from his home village, and they're, come on, come back. Don't go that way. Don't listen. And he says, I have to go. Go with me, brothers. 
Pliable is like, okay, that sounds good. I'll go with you. Obstinate, no way, I'm going back. And Pliable goes a little ways with Christian until the first trial comes, and then Pliable's like, I'm out of here. This is way too hard. I'm going back to the city of destruction. I'm out of here. False conversion. Not converted. It's a wonderful book illustrating what it is to be translated from living and headed for a city of destruction to the celestial city by Christ alone. Loved ones, we all come from the city of destruction. That's where we all are born into as descendants of Adam and Eve. And without Christ, we all perish. John 3.16 tells us that. He says, these ones, you watch out, mark and avoid them. Here's where they're going. You really want to go into the burning building? And you're not the fireman with the protection and the training? You're just running into the end? Why would you go that way? Don't go that way. No, this is where they're, at. This is where they're headed. You better check it out. Hey, where, before you get on the bus, where's the bus going? If you think about the, the stories from the Holocaust as people were loaded onto trains and they didn't know where's the destination of this train and they didn't have an option. They didn't have a choice. And if it was headed for Auschwitz, many of them never came out. And he says these individuals are enslaved to their lust. They serve their, their God is their belly. Is there anything more just so fast? I mean, if we ate breakfast this morning, you're like, right now, like, what's for lunch? As soon as we eat lunch, we're like, what's for dinner? Like, it's so here, gone, satisfied. I'm full. I can't eat another bite. And a few later, you know, hours later, what are you doing? You're picking around in the kitchen, like, whoa, there's some leftover turkey. Here's some, we're hungry. This is it. They're serving their belly. They're enslaved. Their God is their belly. What a demanding God that can never be fully satisfied. We don't eat a meal and, oh, that's it. Their passions, their cravings, their fleshly appetites. What is he talking about? Sex, power, laziness, disrespect, greed, fame, abstaining from certain foods and indulging in other foods and in pleasures that are carnal. And it's just this cycle of never-ending, never-satisfying merry-go-round. This is actually the norm for our culture. This is normal. I got to work all week, Monday, Tuesday, Friday's coming, you know. Thursday, woo, Friday, get wasted. Oh, Monday comes, oh, my head. But Friday's coming and a lifetime is gone through just wishing it away to our God is our belly. What an awful, what an awful taskmaster. This is deadly. None of, these, none of these appetites, none of these gods, if you will, can bear up the weight of our souls. None of those things that I mentioned can satisfy. They all leave us, oh, I ate, I know, but I ate this morning. Sex doesn't satisfy in this way. Immorality Anything outside of marriage is just it's just like a fire burning everything down. A new promotion, a raise, a new relationship doesn't satisfy. 
Only God can satisfy. These individuals, they serve, Paul is saying, their belly. They're enslaved to it. And then he says they boast in their shame. They glory in their shame. Instead of being ashamed of their sin, they excuse it. They justify it. Some even use verses to say, but here and there, and it's okay, I'm fine with it. And then they parade their sin before everyone. It's completely upside down. It's completely out of the closet and into the streets so that we come when we boast in our shame, then we have what we know now as pride parades, pride days, pride months. Even churches hang the flag that is a color that came from the rainbow of God's judgment of the entire earth and now churches don't hang it saying flee from the wrath that is to come but instead be whoever you want to be even though it is contrary to God's created order and plan it's no longer in the closet sexual perversion that abounds in our culture. When people come from other nations, they cannot believe how sexualized our culture is. Outside of the bonds of marriage and Jesus, you know, some will say, even church leaders or pastors, well, Jesus never dealt with homosexuality. Yeah, he did. He most clearly did. Matthew 19. This is where they tried to trap him on a question of divorce. And he just, he handled it, he handled it all. Verse 4, Matthew 19, Jesus answered. Uh, even how he answers to people who are trying to, religious people trying to trap him, and he simply says, have you not read? Paraphrase, don't you know your Bible? Have you not read your Bible? Let's go back to Genesis 1, 2. Genesis 3. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them? This is completely contrary to the culture we live in, loved ones. Male and female. And said, verse 5, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This is God's institution. And Satan hates everything that God creates. Everything that represents God's goodness and his grace and his love, Satan hates it, and he'll do anything to destroy it and tear it down. So these individuals, Paul says, they're not ashamed about their sin. They boast in it. They glory in it. They parade it. They put it out and write books about it. And it sells. Because people love to do what they want to do, and especially if somebody can give a stamp of approval on it that seems spiritual. Well, hey, he said it's okay. Yeah, but did he create you? And will you stand before him in judgment? What is the end of that person? These individuals are focused only upon temporal things. These people, when described, 
by Paul were only concerned with being free to do whatever they wanted to do. Their so-called liberty was in fact deep bondage. They were living only for things that had an expiration date. You ever pull that milk out of the refrigerator and it's after the date? You ever poured it on your cereal? Now, I'm at a disadvantage because I can't smell. I can look at the date. I can smell. It doesn't, it doesn't, I can't smell spoiled milk. I've poured it on my cereal, looked over it. I've had a few bites, looked at the milk, see the date, check the date, not the right date. Hey, will somebody smell this? Oh, man, okay, I'm not eating any more of that. Spoiled, expired, done, gone, short shelf life. And Paul is saying these people, they are living for things that have a momentary shelf life, a soon coming expiration date. Why would you follow them? This type of person loves the world and all that is passing away. They have no use for They make no time in their day or week for the things of God. Things like reading scripture, reading their Bible, praying, going to church, sharing the gospel. Those just don't seem to make it on the to-do list. Have plenty of time to scroll through social media. Have plenty of time to do all the other things with the same hours that everyone's given. But time for the word of God, the eternal word of God, They have no appetite for this. Oh, but the people of God, we love to worship God individually, quietly, corporately. We walk together, we worship together, and we work together for the glory of God. Listen to the warning from the Apostle John. He says in 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And here's what he's saying, the same thing as Paul. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see the contrast. That here... The world is just fading. It's going quickly, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And Jesus says at Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. What do you love to do? When you're in those quiet moments of your life in the week, where does your mind and your heart gravitate to? What do you love? And this is where you say, is it eternal or temporal? Do I love what is never-ending Or do I spend most of my time and energy in what is passing away? Heed the warning. And number three, remember and never forget God's promises. So we have the positive. There's the right. Identify and emulate godly examples. Then there's those who are wrong, verses 18 and 19. Mark and avoid them. These are worldly influences. Why would you follow them? Why would anyone follow them? But they're so tempting. No, mark and avoid them like you would like you did the virus, you know, like run. I don't want it. Well, this is worse than a virus. But then here he says, remember and never forget the promises of God. 
Paul's upward focus is his desire for all believers. And here is a dynamic contrast in Paul's letter between heaven and earth, between the eternal and the temporal. So arm yourselves with these truths. All right, and what he's doing, he's not just wagging his finger at them. He's not just railing on them. He's not just driving them. Instead, he says, here, let me equip you. Let me give you something that will hold you that you are kept, you are loved, and what I said earlier in this letter, he started this work in you, he will finish this work, so let me give you the promises of God that heaven is our forever home. Child of God, heaven is your forever home. The Philippians were an outpost colony of the Roman Empire, so when you, if you were a Roman citizen and you, you ended up in Philippi, you'd look around and be like, I feel like I'm home. This feels like Rome. It's not on Roman soil, but it is Roman soil. It's an outpost colony. That when people gather, when they come into the presence, if you're here visiting with us, I trust that you experience just a little glimpse of heaven while you're here. We're an outpost. That's what Paul is saying. They understood this well. Dual citizenship. And our citizenship in heaven is far greater than our citizenship here on earth. But because we're citizens of heaven, then we actually know how we should function as citizens here on earth. And Jesus said in John 14, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back for you. That's what Paul says next. He says, our Savior will return for his own. Heaven is our forever home, and our Savior, he's coming back. This word Savior was important to Romans, and it was important to Greeks. The Romans thought of their Savior as Caesar. He's our Savior. But they all died. Some of them were assassinated. The Greeks would think of their gods. All of the Greek mythology were looking for a Savior. And so he writes, our Savior, he will return. Well, what does Acts 1.11 say? This is what the angel said to the men as they had just watched Jesus ascend. Men of Galilee. What a scene this must have been. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He is coming back, the same Jesus. He's coming back. And let her see another promise. We will become like the Lord Jesus Christ. The work that he began in us, he will complete. He will transform our lowly body, or you might say our lowest state. Kind of like when you put a kernel of corn in the ground. It's lowest state, and you put it lower in the ground, and when it pops out of the soil, and it grows up. You're like, well, that doesn't look like the seed I put in the ground. It's much greater. And this is what Paul is saying. He will transform our lowly body, our low estate, into the likeness of his resurrection. So here on earth, the church doesn't look that glorious at times. It's persecuted. I saw a video this week of Indians in India, believers being run out of their village, houses burned, and they are now living in the village. They're living in the woods. They're living in the forest. And there they are encouraging one another with scriptures like this. Our Savior will return. And he will transform our lowly body into a glorious body, a resurrected body like his. What are they saying? We are not wanted here. But we're wanted in heaven. And we're an outpost here on earth, whether it be in the woods or in Richmond or some community around us, we're an outpost. And listen to what John says, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved. 
Oh, loved ones, children of God, we are God's children now. And what we will be, there's the future, has not yet appeared, but we know, here's a promise, that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is a promise. Take this. And then the last promise that he gives in this is King Jesus reigns over all. King Jesus reigns over all. Everything is subjected to the Lord Jesus, not just our bodies. Everything, everything is subjected to his powerful rule, his effectual rule. Everything here is held together by the Lord Jesus Christ and he is risen and he is coming again. So he says here, you want some promises? Heaven is our forever home. That's where we're going. Our savior, he's not gonna forget about us and he's not gonna leave us here. He's gonna return for his own and we will become like the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, and King Jesus reigns over everyone and everything everywhere for all times. He has loved us. What did Jesus say in his final words? Matthew 28, verse 18. And he came and he said to his disciples, he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Read it with me. It'll be on the screen. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And all God's people said, amen and amen and amen. We just keep saying, so be it. This is who he is. These are the promises that we're given. We're not to just work this out on our own. Oh no, he will work this out in us. So by the grace of God, I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice that you know, love, and follow Jesus and that we will grow together in grace and we identify and emulate godly examples. Thank the Lord for all of those godly examples in our lives, past, present, and the ones coming in the future, that we will mark and avoid worldly influences, and by the grace of God, we will remember and never forget his promises. And when we're tempted to doubt and fade and turn aside, we go right back to, Lord, let me preach and let me preach these promises to my heart again. And by your spirit, you help and encourage me. Who are you following this morning? Who are you following? Who's that Christ-like person that you follow? And then that follow-up question is, what example are you setting for those following you? And trust me, someone's mimicking you. Someone's following you. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus so that they get as much of a glimpse of Jesus as they can as they walk in our footsteps. Let's stand together. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for the countless examples that we have from Scripture of faithfulness and godliness. And thank you also for those individuals in our lives, some of us have mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers, maybe aunts and uncles, 
maybe even spouses, that they were the ones that prayed and lived that exemplary life to their spouse coming to faith in Christ. Some of us, maybe it's even children set that example. And they were the ones that began and, and were influential of people even older than them. Father, in all things, you receive the glory. Christ receives the glory. And I thank you and I praise you for what you have done and for what you are doing. Oh God, will you help us to be careful who we follow, to mark and avoid those influences that would be to our ruin and to the ruin of our families and to the ruin of our testimonies. And for the glory of Jesus, may we claim and cling to your promises knowing that you will finish the work that you began in us. So may we run the race. May we be faithful till that day when you return or we die and we will be in the presence of the one who died and rose again for us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.